Okay, let's do this. We're jumping into a new series. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be in church. Why don't you pray with me as we get this party started. Father, we love you. And wow, worship was great being in your presence and lifting up your name. You deserve the highest praise, Lord. And as we launch into this series called The Blessed Life, Father, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation on our minds and our hearts. You're calling us higher. You're calling us deeper. And we want to be people who respond to you. We want to come and open up your word with faith, knowing that you always want to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And Father, as we're praying for the blessed life today, again, we want to pray that you would bless the San Diego Chargers. Lord, you, uh, you heard our prayer last week as we prayed in this church. And uh, Lord, some people gave credit to the coach. Some other people gave credit to the team. Lord, we know it's because our church was praying for the Chargers. So Lord, your word says some trust in horses or Broncos, some trust in chariots, but we'll trust in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's go Chargers. All right. Well, hey, I'm super excited. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love to put one in your hands. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. God's been downloading revelation to my spirit about his desire for a city to be a light to the nations. I truly believe that God is wanting to do something in San Diego, California that would touch the state, the nation, and the nations of the world. But what I know is that in order for a city to become a light set apart on a hill to shine forth to the nations, it starts with blessed churches, churches that are on fire and shining with the glory of God. And in order for a church to be that kind of blessed church, it has to be full of blessed families. And in order for a family to walk in the blessing of God, that starts with an individual man or woman. And so I want to encourage you over these next few weeks to come with faith in your heart as we open up the word of God and talk about the blessed life, that you would not only be hearers of the word, but you'd receive and then set out to align yourself with the principles and the ways of God and to actually pursue aggressively the blessing that God has for you. Are you guys ready to do that? Amen. I've been meditating a lot on a story of a very simple man. This is a story that I think we can all relate to. He's an every man. He was born in the turn of the century, actually born in 1884 to a, a very normal blue collar family. His name was Walter. And Walter had some really hard knocks. He had some very challenging circumstances happen, happen in his life because in his youth, his mother passed away. And so Walter and his siblings were living with his father, and one day tragedy would strike. Walter's father was up on a high tower hanging lights for a city when he fell over 100 feet to his death. Walter found himself an orphan. Quickly, his siblings were shipped away out of state to be taken care of by other families. But Walter made a choice that was life-shaping for him. He decided instead of being bitter... Instead of depending on others the rest of his life, he'd take responsibility for his life. And he saw opportunity in a small town of 1,100. He moved to that town knowing there a teen could get a job. 
and he started doing menial labor in a broom factory. Now, Walter would make a series of choices that would forever change his life. The first thing Walter did was he jumped in a church. He became very committed to his First Baptist Church. Secondly, Walter decided to work with all his heart, and little by little, he was promoted from the ground floor of this little company into leadership. Thirdly, Walter, as a child, knowing the pain of childhood, decided that he'd invest in life and children. And as he became more and more known in the community, he decided to run for school board so he could advocate for children's best. Lastly, he poured back into his town and served as a volunteer fireman and began to lead different civic organizations. It's like the quintessential American dream story from an orphan to a man who actually in his life, became voted the town's most outstanding citizen. But my mentor always says this. He says that each generation should outrun the generation that precedes them. And so listen to what happened next. Walter married a a blue-collar woman, a hard-working woman. Not many women at that time had jobs. She was a hard-working telephone operator. They came together. And they had their first child, their first of four sons. His name was Lewis. And in every way that Walter had set aside to live these godly principles, Lewis would take it up a level. Where Walter had gotten involved in his church, Lewis started investing in different kingdom ministries. Where Walter was a hard worker, Lewis started a gas station in his teens, then became a used car salesman selling cars from this gas station. Then Chevrolet came and found him and offered him a Chevrolet franchise, the youngest Chevrolet franchise owner in history at 21 years old. He had then, I think we have a sign, there's Walter, once Walter had come out of, out of poverty and into, into his business. But now let's go to Lewis Henna. Here's Lewis, he ends up having the largest sign in the world, but Lewis didn't take his success and keep it all to himself. He'd go and buy a big piece of land in his town and give two-thirds of it away to take care of orphans. And then he'd spend a small fortune building all these homes in a new philosophy where parents could come, house parents, and have children in a home instead of an institution. And thousands of kids would be taken care of. Where Walter invested in his community, Lewis advocated for affordable housing, for bringing in more jobs. In fact, I studied this city that Walter and Lewis had lived in. And I found that this city has become the seventh most desirable small city to live in in the United States. The only one in Texas. It's, uh, (laughs) all right. That's why I live in San Diego now. Um, secondly, it's, it's the second fastest growing area in the nation. Uh, thirdly, it's known for its amazing school districts. And fourthly, it's on the list of one of the safest communities to live in. If it wasn't enough to have Walter go from being an orphan to being voted most outstanding citizen and, and being a successful businessman who ended up being the manager of this company, his son, the next generation, would go on to be the mayor of the town. From an orphan to a mayor. And I read on Wikipedia as I was studying this city that it actually gives credit to Lewis Henna for bringing the first interstate 
to run through the city and soliciting tons of jobs and increasing for the whole community all kinds of economic prosperity. Now, this story is particularly significant to me because I grew up in Lewis Hanna's home. Lewis Hanna was my grandfather. Walter's my great-grandfather. From an orphan to a righteous mayor of a city. And this is how it affects you. I believe sitting in this room are the next Walter Hennis. Maybe it's one of our refugee kids in this room. Maybe it's one of our, our refugees that came from a war-torn country in Africa. You barely escaped with the clothes you had on your back. You're just hoping to survive, and God is saying, no, when you live out my principles, my blessing comes on you, and you set up the next generation for prosperity. Maybe it's an inner city youth. Maybe you're a youth and you're here all by yourself. You're the only person in your family that's trying to walk with God. And God's saying, you're going to be the next Walter Hanna that sets up generations for blessing. Maybe it's a college student and you're the only college student coming to church in your family. But God's saying, I'm calling you out and I'm calling you up. If you'll walk in my ways, I will bless you. And I believe also in this room are the next Lewis Hennis. The ones whose family have made righteous choices. Maybe you're even here with your family today. Or maybe you're sitting in this room because your family brought you up coming to church, following the teachings of the Bible. But God's saying it's not enough for you to take the blessing from your family and to just carve out yourself a nice little niche in this world. God's saying it's time to take it up and turn the blessing to prosperous city. And to bless the nation and the nations of the world. You see, God is wanting to bless individuals, to create environments of blessing on families that will then transform communities, that will then change cities. And I want to tell you that I've reaped the fruit of generations who've made righteous choices, and I want you to set up the same. Who knows what your choices today will set up for your predecessors, your successors? It's impossible to set up something for your predecessors. Let me read this scripture to you today from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Beautiful scripture. The context is the Hebrew people were in slavery. They were suffering severely in Egypt. They cried out to God. They said, God, we can't be slaves anymore. We can't make it anymore. And God heard their cry. And he raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses. He sent a man and with signs and wonders and acts of power, God called his people out. He marched them through a sea, the Red Sea, that he actually parted. Then he sustained them in the desert. He provided for them. He actually brought food out of nothing to provide for this family. And as this group of people walked through the desert, then his glory descended on a mountain called Mount Sinai. And God himself showed himself to these people as a column of fire, as smoke, as a voice like thunder. And the people were in awe of his power. And then he gave them his law. Then God showed them the promised land and said, though you were once slaves, now I'm giving you a beautiful land, a land where you will live and prosper. But then he says this in the scripture, verse 15 of chapter 30. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, 
to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, decrees, and laws, that you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering into to possess. Verse 19 goes on. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. God was saying, I've delivered you from captivity. I've sustained you in the desert. I'm even showing you the promised land. And I have all these blessings for you. But it's your choice. Will you choose to walk in these blessings? Will you choose to walk in these blessings? That is what God is speaking to you today. The Father of lights has numerous blessings that he wants to pour on you, but it's your choice whether you will accept them, whether you will receive them, whether you will align yourselves in a place that they become yours. You know, our life is not much different than the Hebrews. I want to address two groups for a minute in here. First are the Christians in this room. What do I mean by Christian? I mean someone who's made the decision to accept Jesus Christ into their heart as their Lord and Savior. You, like the Hebrews, you were in bondage. You were in slavery. Yeah, maybe you were never a physical slave, but you were a spiritual slave. You're enslaved to sin. And at some point, you heard God calling out to you, and you called out to him and said, come into my life and redeem me. You accepted the free gift of Jesus on the cross. He took you into his promised land. Pray for this brother up here. And he gave you a new life. He brought you into his family. You became a child of God. But the problem is there are a lot of children of God that are not walking in the blessings that the Father has in store for them. So the question for you today is will you choose those blessings? There's a second group in here. You haven't given your life to Jesus yet. You're not actually a Christian. You're exploring Christianity. Maybe you're at church for the first time just trying to hear, is this stuff really real? Is this stuff really work? And I want to tell you that the greatest blessing that you'll ever experience in your life is when you open up your heart to Jesus and you cry out to him and you realize, I'm a sinner and I'm set apart from God because of my sin. It actually separates from me from God. So I need to receive what Jesus did on the cross for me. He paid for my sin by dying gruesome death. And he didn't stay dead. He rose again, defeating the power of sin and death. And I need to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, invite him into my heart, and then you'll be saved and you're engrafted into his family. And at the end of the service, I want to invite you to make that kind of decision. It is the greatest blessing that you can ever experience. But I want to backtrack a little because today I want to talk about pursuing blessing. And and I know when we read this scripture, and I know when I say that, that there's automatically some concern coming up in some of you who've been in the church. You heard me read this verse from Deuteronomy 15. It said, I set before you life and prosperity. And you thought, "Uh uh-oh, prosperity. I've heard that word before, the prosperity gospel. I want to tell you that you can't be in Christianity too long. You can't be in churches in America too long before you hear about the prosperity gospel. It's a doctrine that came forth in the 1940s. And to put it simple, it's this phrase, God wants to make you rich. 
And immediately people start thinking when they hear the prosperity gospel of maybe a pastor driving up in a Rolls Royce or flying in in his jet. Wearing a three-piece suit that's in the tens of thousands of dollars. Now, I can assure you that that's not where we're going with this series. I only wear a suit for weddings and funerals, and it's certainly not $10,000. And you're welcome to look at my 2000 Suburban out in the parking lot whenever you want. They've heard of pastors talking about their theology of name it and claim it. Just speak it and then claim it or blab it and grab it. That's... uh, It's not where we're going with this series. And I do want to say that there's been a lot of abuses when people start talking about prospering. They start talking about blessing. There's been some shameful things done in the church. There's been preachers who have preyed on people and wanted to get rich while their people get poor. And that's heartbreaking to the Father. But I do want to say just because verses on blessing and verses on prosperity have been abused doesn't mean that we can throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. doesn't mean we should turn our backs on them. That's actually what the enemy wants us to do. And I want to tell you that there's a great danger in not believing in the blessing of God. You know, as a father, I want to bless my children. It's in my heart to shower them with love. Shower them with affection to meet their needs. How much more so does the perfect heavenly father long to do that? Now it sounds noble and many in the church have turned away from this. So they don't believe that God's going to bless them. And so they think our reward alone should be knowing we did the right thing. Or, or, or knowing that we did what, what God wanted. And although that sounds noble, it's dangerous. Because it starts robbing God of his kindness and his goodness. I want to tell you, there's a great attack on the church going on that's trying to steal the kindness of God. And the Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And when the body of Christ starts coming in contact with how kind, how good, how generous God is, they start falling in love and they start talking with great affection great emotion about their wonderful God. And guess what happens? The world starts taking note and saying, I want what you have. So the enemy wants to steal that away and to scare us into sterile observation of the law. And God has filled this book with promises of his blessing for those who honor him. I unashamedly tell my children that if they follow the ways that I've set before them that I want to shower my blessing on them. And I take great delight to do it. It was Joshua's seventh birthday. Actually, it's today. Yay, Joshua. He's in the children's time. So give him a high five when he comes out. But I want him to know that I want to shower blessings on him. You see, if we don't know that, then we act Completely and solely out of the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is very important. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But God wants us to know his affections so that we operate out of being madly in love with him. He wants us madly in love with him. That's why this is such an important teaching. That's why we're going to be talking about the blessed life 
for the, several, the next several weeks. And I want you to grab onto this. Now, I want to dive into a parable today that's one of the most famous parables. It's in Luke 15, if you turn there with me. And I just want to say that this is one of my favorite parables to teach on. So you've heard me teach on it before, but it's so multifaceted. And so I think I'll be teaching on it the rest of my life as we dive into this. Because it's Jesus painting what the Father's like. And it starts like this. Let's look in Luke 15, verse 11. It says this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. So we automatically see the context. Jesus is saying the father's like this. He's painting a picture of what the father's like. And he's saying, God is like a father. And he had two sons. So we automatically know God is like a father. And we are like one of these sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Now, let me just make a note in here that a lot of this has to do with material blessing. The son wanted his material blessing. So he goes to his father and says, Father, give me that material blessing. Now let's read in verse 13 and see what happened. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now here's what I see. The younger son wanted excitement, he wanted adventure, and he wanted pleasure. He wanted excitement, he wanted adventure, and he wanted pleasure. Let me just make a bold assertion to you today that I believe that's something you want. You want excitement, you want adventure, you want pleasure, and those things are not bad. God is actually the one who put that desire in your hearts. And when the church stops being exciting, when the people of God stop going on adventures, it gets really boring. And then the world walks away. That's why I love worship and people are going crazy down here. Church is a place where you should feel free to go crazy the most. Because when people see excitement and they see adventure and they see pleasure, they say, that's what I want. Now the danger is to chase after excitement, adventure, and pleasure outside of the will of the Father. It's not wrong to want excitement, adventure, and pleasure. It's wrong to try to pursue it outside of the Father's house, outside of the Father's will. It's actually very dangerous. It's actually very destructive. Let's look and see what happens next. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, and that's the enemy's intent for you, that you'd spend everything, be penniless. There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So not only has he run out of everything, now he's ashamed. He's doing a very shameful job. He's feeding pigs. Hebrews couldn't even associate with pigs and now he's feeding pigs. Look at what happens next. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Not only is he feeding pigs, he's jealous of pigs. I want to be really clear today. Pursuing blessing outside of the Father's house will lead to your destruction. Pursuing blessing outside of the Father's house, his will, his ways, will lead to your destruction. That's what we so clearly see in this story. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, it's my prayer 
for us as the church, that we come to our senses in understanding God and his blessing. When he came to his senses, he said this, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Listen to this phrase. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Let me just make a bold point. There's a great revelation in this text right here. The father's servants have all they need. Let me just say that again. The father's servants have all they need. In fact, they have more than enough. They had food to spare. The father's servants had food to spare. How do you apply this to your life? Look at your life for a moment. Is there an area of lack? Is there an area of need? An area you say, I just can't seem to get ahead. Maybe it's financially. You look at your life financially and you say, there's a lack. I I never have enough. I, I, I don't know what to do. The father's servants have all they need. And they have food to spare. So let me ask you the question. Have you aligned yourself to serve the Father in your area of need? Hello? If there's an area of lack, my question for you is, have you aligned yourself as a servant in that area? You say, "My my finances are struggling. Have you set out to serve God first in the financial area of your life, or are you serving yourself? Are you serving someone else? You say, my marriage, my marriage is hurting, my marriage is broken. My question for you, is are you aligning yourself as a servant to God in your marriage, in your family, with your children, as a parent? You say, well, we're just in total chaos. My question is, have you aligned yourself first to serve the Lord? Because in the Father's house is plenty, and there's actually food to spare. So let me just tell you something very clearly. You will never get all you need by trying to get all you need. Can I say that again? You will never get all you need by trying to get all you need. You will have all you need by aligning yourself as a servant for the Father. And then he will meet your needs. And in fact, you will have food to spare. So you're struggling financially. You say, starting today, I'm lining myself up as a servant of the Father in the financial area of my life. And watch what God does. In your marriages, in your families, in your workplace, at your school. You align yourself as a servant of the Father. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Sorry, verse 18 says this. I will set out and go back to my Father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his Father. This is the main action point today is that many of us need to come to our senses and repent. We need to repent. Repent means to turn the other way. We need to turn the other way and go, oh God, you actually want to bless me. We turn the other way. There's two definitions of repentance. One is to turn and go the other way, and the other is to change your way of thinking. We need to do both. We need to change our way of thinking and understand it's not us that wants blessing. God wants to bless us even more than we want to be blessed. And so I'm going to turn and I'm going to walk back to him and say, God, whatever it takes to align myself with you so I can receive your showers of blessing, I will do it. Matthew 6.33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things, they're going to be added to you. What a beautiful scripture. 
says this, but while he was still a long way off, this is the second part of verse 20, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I don't know why, but I always see this picture in my mind. I see Sean Connery as a big father and he's going, yes, my son. And he's, he's picking up his robes and he's just running down the running down the path and then wrapping up his son in those big arms and shutting your back and, and just kissing him and hugging him. The first blessing the father wants to bestow upon you is the blessing of his affection. You know, I, I, I've seen many rich people in my life and a lot of them I wouldn't say are living a blessed life. They're angry, they're ornery, they're, they're frustrated about their scratch on their Rolls Royce and their latte not being the perfect temperature and their maid put this clothes in the wrong bin. And, and then I've seen some people that don't have all the material possessions, but they're bubbling over with kingdom joy. You know, I could give Joshua every single toy he ever dreamed of today for his birthday. But if I didn't give him my affection, he would never really walk in joy. He'd never walk in peace. He'd never be anchored in being a loved child of the Father. The first blessing you and I need is the blessing of the affection of the Lord. And that's what Jesus paints when that son repents, when he turns around, when he changes his mindset, when he heads to the Father. The Father is there to wrap him up in his loving embrace, and to shower him with kisses. Oh, that's good. And that's the first blessing we need after we come to Christ, is the affection of the Father. But let's look what happens next, because it doesn't stop there. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and found, so they began to celebrate. There's three more blessings that I see that God wants to bestow upon your life. The first one is the robe. It's that mark of sonship. It's that mark of daughterhood. He comes and clothes that naked, dirty son with a beautiful robe. It's integration. Number one, it's integration. God wants to pull you into his family so you don't feel like an orphan any longer. You feel like I'm part of the family. Number two, he puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. This speaks of delegation. Integration and delegation. What is he delegating? He's delegating power. He's delegating responsibility. He's giving possessions and positions. God wants to give his people positions and possessions so that they can be mediums to advance the kingdom of God. When you have a position, when you have possessions, you can use them to bless other people. Thirdly, he gives a calf and he gives a party. What's a calf and a party? It's a celebration. God's saying, hey, I want my people to not just feel loved, but to feel absolutely celebrated. We believe in this so much that we spent a whole series in the fall talking about the partying God, the God of extravagant celebration. I encourage you to go back and get the app, get the podcast. It'll be worth every penny because it's free. We, uh, 
Look at this last part. Let's just come to an end this way. It says, verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come home, the servant replied, and your father's killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, which I just need to say is a lot of Christians, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes back. You killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. I think there's way too many Christians in the church that believe that their whole faith, all of Christianity is just about observing rules. It's just about slaving away like this Young man said, it's just about not disobeying his orders. And and, and then he makes a point. He he says a true statement. He said, you never even gave me a young goat. Bummer. He was right. Why? Because he didn't ask. He didn't ask. Why didn't he ask? Because he didn't know it was his for the having. This older brother, yeah, he might have stayed in the house. He might have been around. He wasn't disobeying orders. He was slaving away, but he wasn't close enough to the father's heart to hear what the father wanted to give him. And the father finally shares his heart. He goes, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Son, you didn't have to settle for a goat. I would have given you a fat cow. I wonder... If you've been close enough to the Father's heart to hear all the ways that he wants to bless you. I want to tell you, as I've gotten close to the Father's heart, sometimes I've I've been a little blown away. I've had a hard time wrapping my mind around the things he's told me he wants to do for me. The things he wants to give me, the places he wants to take me. The things he wants to do through me. I've been, God, through me? I know me. Like, I go home with me, Lord. You got the wrong guy. Have you seen the things I think and the things I say and the ways I mess up and the people I'm frustrated with that cut me off on the highway, Lord? He's saying, son, I want to do this. I want to give you this. I want to use you this way. I'm going to put you here. Have you drawn near to God to hear what he wants to do in you and through you? And secondly, then have you asked for blessing? Or have you so been busy trying to chase after and make your own blessing happen that you've gone away from the very one who's just waiting to pour out blessing on you? I tell you, I want this church to get really good at asking for blessing. Because here's what I've seen. The kids that ask for things are the kids that get things. Let me end with this story. Two years ago, I took my older two boys on our first hiking and camping trip with a buddy. And and the weather ended up pretty gnarly for us. It was hot. It was windy. Then the mosquitoes were out. 
It was dry and dusty. And so we go on this long hike because I'm determined we're going to go on a hike on this hiking trip. And so we're going, and the boys start kind of complaining. Can we turn around? I'm like, no, we'll do this. And we come around this bend, and there is this rushing water that we start hearing. And then we come a little further, and we see this beautiful little cascading waterfall. And the bottom of the waterfall is this natural, cold, crystal, clear pool. I'm like, no, that is what we've been looking for. But there was a problem. It was 100 feet off the trail. And so we had a decision. Will we just sit and look at this waterfall and say how pretty it was and how crystal clear that pool was and how refreshing it looked? Or will we do the work to go and get in it. And I think that's the question God's asking us. He has this waterfall of blessing that's coming from the throne of grace. It's coming from heaven that he wants to shower down on his people on earth as it is in heaven. But the question is, is will we align ourselves to receive his blessing? Will we agree and say, yeah, that waterfall looks better than any of the things this world is saying. And yeah, I will pursue it. I will walk in. I will get under that and I will bathe in the blessing of the Lord. And that's what this series is going to be all about. Why don't we go ahead and stand up?